Hey everyone, this is Charlie Levine, and you are listening to the Angler's Journal podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal magazine. Uh, if you love to read and you love to fish, you know, Angler's Journal is a little bit different than some of the fishing magazines out there. I'm going to read a quick quote from one of our contributors about why this magazine has been so well received. Readers of Angler's Journal aren't only interested in fishing a rod and reel with lure or bait, but of all the ways to angle, the primal urge to catch a fish, to hear stories about them, and to feel the pull of another being as it tries to escape. So those are the words of Noah Davis, and I think they ring true. So if you love to fish, you're going to love Angler's Journal magazine. Head on over to anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription today. All right, let's get into it. Today's guest is uh, someone I have a lot of admiration for, uh, Joe Cermelli. How's it going, buddy? What's up, Charlie? How are you, man? It's good to see you. It's pretty funny that I have you on uh, my pod here because I've done like three of these and you've done like a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. I appreciate you taking the time. For all of our listeners out there, I just want to tell you um, how much I admire this guy, Joe was the fishing editor at Field and Stream, you know, back when the magazine was the, the largest fishing publication out there. And Joe was always kind of on the leading edge. You, you were like one of the first guys I knew who jumped into the YouTube world with hook shots. And, and I know you just got GoPros and like just figured it out. And um, same with podcasts. Oh, yeah. It's it's just remarkable, man. I think you you're one of the most uh, one of the best voices of the fishing generation that I belong to. So I really appreciate you, man. I appreciate that, man. We've known each other for so long, but this is actually the first time we've we've collaborated on a something. And spoiler alert, maybe more to come with AJ. Just hint, hint, wink, wink. Right? Oh yes, yes. It's uh, it's <laughs> exciting times. Um, but today's topic is a very important topic, I think, in the state in the state of the fishing world. Uh, we are going to talk about a movie that impacted, I think, everybody. Man, that's like anyone I've ever met has seen the movie Jaws, right? Uh, if you are a fisherman of any kind and have not, then I'm not sure you qualify as an angler. Like you, it's it's kind of like a requirement. Like you have to have seen this movie at least once, you know. It's an incredible flick. It's got so many cultural implications. I mean, you hear that music, that da-dun, da-dun, da-da-da-da-da. I mean, it's just everyone quotes it all the time. Uh, in the world of, you know, not even just fishing movies, I think this movie is one of the best. And I'm just, I know you love it. Tell me about some of the Jaws uh, memorabilia you've got. Well, yeah, I I will do that, but I got to start by saying, you know, you had said like, thanks for taking the time. I take the time for this one twice, like a whole <laughs> podcast devoted to why Jaws is so awesome. Um, this is this is fun and a complete departure from some of the other podcasts I've been on. So I've been looking forward to this uh, for a long time. But where, like, where do I even begin with that? Like, people laugh at this, um, but I'm really not kidding when I say Jaws absolutely shaped who I am. As a fisherman, I mean, in, in this room, I'm turning 40 this year, and there's a Jaws light switch cover in this room. There's a Quint <laughs> skateboard. Uh, the first tattoo I ever got was a Great White uh, because it mixed. I loved sharks because of Jaws, and I loved fishing because of Jaws. Um, so my dad was like, don't get the flaming guitar. You might not want to play that when you're older. You've always loved sharks. So make that your first tattoo. So good advice. I mean, Jaws has, yeah, Jaws has been, I must've been three years old. The first time I saw it, I played Jaws when I was little. I, it, it is, it has been with me for that, for that many years. Um, and I think, you know, when you're a little kid, especially, what do you what do you grow up doing? Catching bluegills and, and bass and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I, I look at my, my son, who just turned four. He's a hardcore fisherman. And you think about it, and like nowadays, kids, um, they, they have YouTube. So if they want to see a barracuda get caught, you go on YouTube. If they want to see a blue marlin get caught, they go on YouTube. It's all there. Well, when you and I were little, we didn't have that. So when you're used to going to the trout pond or the bluegill pond, what do you have you know, to plant that seed of aspiration, like there are some much bigger, much more badass things out there to catch. That was Jaws. So while I was catching bluegills, like Quint was like, I'm going to do that someday. I want to go out on a boat with a reel that big and reel something in like that. So very influential to my fishing. Other Aside from being just one of the greatest movies ever made, whether you fish or not, I'm just going to say that. Oh, that's so, so cool. And I think yeah. that speaks 
you know, volumes for a lot of people. You know, I grew up in the eighties and my dad had a six pack license. We had a 40 foot, mm -hmm. uh, sport fish and everybody wanted to go shark fishing. And so yes. we did a ton of it. And I'm actually like, I wrote in one of my questions, like Charlie hates to shark fish. And I, I say this all the time. It's like, if I never catch another <laughs> shark. I'm totally okay with that. But you know, I agree yeah. with you. It's that whole man versus beast, um, you know, mythical <laughs> story element. And, you know, even at Angler's Journal, we try to be, you know, a little more literary and we, we have some really talented writers who write for us. But I think this story is just so, um, it's so natural. It's so, it just, it speaks so many volumes and it, and it did affect everyone. And, and I think, you know, we'll get into some of the fishing stuff, but just a little bit of background about the movie, you know, I totally nerded out and went into a, a deep, deep wormhole of internet research here. <laughs> Very easy to do with this movie. Yeah. So, so it's based on a novel by Peter Benchley that was published in the mid seventies and he sold the film rights for 175 grand, which Ooh, yeah, <laughs> when you find out how much money this thing reeled in, that's Peter, maybe not the best idea, but he sold the film rights before the move or before the book came out. So, I mean, I get it, but um, they were they started on a budget of four million bucks with fifty five days to shoot, and it notoriously went over. They ended up spending nine million dollars and shot for one hundred and fifty nine days. Uh, it was all shot on Martha's Vineyard. Uh, the crew, I guess, was calling the movie Flaws, and there was lots of mutiny rumors just because, like, <laughs> the sharks kept breaking and all this Oh, it stuff. was a nightmare. If you read the backstory, to film it was a nightmare, yeah. But the fact that it was filmed on the ocean, I think, is what makes it so great, you know? Today, if, you, if they were to make this movie today, it would be all computer, you know, CGI. Um, well... Yeah, and then, well, and they have made it in a sense, right? I look at like the Meg is the Jaws now, like that's that's sort of the modern day Jaws. So yeah, you look at the way that the the Jaws was shot, and it looks very rudimentary compared to what we can do now. But it was so, like you said, filmed on the ocean, so ahead of its time at the time. I mean, the what what that crew went through to create that had never really been done before. Um, which is why I pray they never actually remake it. Like you can keep making shark movies with CGI, that's fine. Right. But it's it's so perfect. Um, I really hope they never do that. You know, it's like and because the of, the of the a Shining lot of those, sucked, you know. Oh yeah, agreed, <laughs> agreed. But because the shark, which they named Bruce, Bruce was the name of uh, Spielberg's lawyer. Yeah, directed by yes. Steven Spielberg, who was like yes. twenty six. Uh huh. Um, but I mean, I guess you do want your lawyer to be a shark. So I get that. Um, guess so. Yeah. So Bruce kept breaking, right. And every time they tried to use it and it, it would break and they would have all these problems. It was the salt water. It was this, it was that. So they took that approach where the shark doesn't appear in a lot of the, the scenes. And it's that sort of apprehension and the music, um, that I think really lends it to make you, ah, you know, here it comes. Oh, totally. I mean, you, you think about how much of that movie you see no shark, and then in that, that scene when the guy on the sailboat finally gets his leg taken off and you get, like, that first glimpse, and then you still don't see much of that shark for a while. I mean, it was brilliantly done in terms of keeping suspense up in that movie, whether intentional or not, um, very hard thing to recreate. I mean, it's just brilliant on every level. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, you you see Spielberg at his early, you know, point in his career, but he had all the pieces in place. He actually had this quote about filming on the ocean that I wanted to read and see what you think. He said, um, I was naive about the ocean. Basically, I was pretty naive about Mother Nature and the hubris of a filmmaker who thinks he can conquer the elements was foolhardy. But I was too young to know that I was being foolhardy and. I demanded that we shoot the film in the ocean and not in a North Hollywood tank. And I don't think it would have ever been as good as it was or the same had they gone the North Hollywood tank route. So. Yeah, no, it would have been super cheesy, like, you know, Old Man in the Sea or some of those earlier right. ocean movies. They they just uh, didn't work. Um, 
They did shoot some video of real sharks. So mm -hmm. there's there's a shark cage scene, which we'll get to. Um, but that was all filmed in South Africa. So they did mix in some live action stuff. And um, it was a funny story. Do you know this story about the South Africa deal? Oh, I certainly do. That was um, Rodney. I forget his last Rodney. Was it Rodney Fox? It was a very famous couple uh, in uh, um, divers that that shot that. And I I do know the story. Uh, the uh, they used a mini shark cage, right? So they used a mini shark cage with a a, a small dummy in it to create the scale. So the the great whites that they were filming looked much 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 bigger than they actually were, and. Um, I believe one of those sharks legitimately got its snout caught in the ropes and beat the crap out of the cage, twisted up in the ropes, and just destroyed it, which played right into uh, what they needed for, for the cage getting destroyed while Hooper was in it. So they cut back and forth. But that was a happy, it was a happy accident, as I right. recall. Yeah, they actually rewrote the script to get that in there. Okay. In, in okay, the yeah. book, Hooper gets eaten. Right. Uh, yeah, the book. The yeah, the book. It's a great book. It's been years since I've read it. Um, very different in in a lot of ways, though, than the movie. I think I think the movie plot line is actually better. But. Yeah, it, in a lot of ways, it's way better. And you know, again, with some of these issues, they were constantly rewriting the script. Like they would rewrite it every night for the scenes they were going to shoot the next day. Which mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine what kind of stress that would be to try to write something like that in that situation. But yeah. But it worked. I mean, the movie, I got some numbers here. It So it was a, initially released in 1975, brought in $123 million bucks right away, um, and it went on to gross $472 million, sold 130 million movie tickets, mm -hmm. and then, you know, the VCR and all that stuff happened. And when it aired on TV for the first time, it grabbed 60% of the television audience. Yeah. Just yeah. huge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huge. Mm -hmm. um, won three Oscars, but none for Spielberg. He wasn't even nominated. Won uh, Best Editing, Best Score, and Best Sound. Was nominated for Best Picture, but lost to uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah. Another good flick. And which also had a fishing scene in it. <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, Roger Ebert gave it four stars. He said it was a sensationally effective action picture. Scary thriller works all the better because it's populated with characters that have been developed into human beings. I don't really know what Roger meant with that. But, um, but let's talk about I, the cast. Yes. So we got Roy Scheider as the aquaphobic <laughs> Chief Brody. Um, I thought he was awesome. Would you? Would you think? Would you? Would you ever consider somebody else in that role? Truthfully, I mean, I know this comes up, you know, online and in debates all the time. If they were going to remake Jaws, who would who would play what, and and who should have played Quint? Um, I don't know, man. To me, to me, again, it's it's like you, you're. <laughs> You're taking a thing that I consider perfect and saying like, well, how could that have been more perfect? Well, it couldn't have. Like it was perfect the way that it was. Uh, I mean, Scheider, if you look at these actors, I mean, they were kind of a, other than Dreyfus, because Dreyfus kept on going, but Scheider and, and Robert Shaw, who played Quint, I don't know, I always felt like they were sort of uh, removed from our generation slightly. Like Robert Shaw was a big deal, but other than The Deep, which was also a Peter Benchley story, I, it's not like I've gone back and watched all of his films because they were way before my time. And I know, you know, Scheider was in a bunch of stuff, but but nothing else that ever stuck with me. So they will always just sort of be the Jaws guys first and foremost to me. Um, I I wouldn't change any of them, though. I'm curious to hear if, if you would have. I mean, I know I think it was um, Spielberg originally wanted, I want to say Lee Majors as Quint or something something like that. I know that name. I couldn't even tell you if he would have been good or not because I'm not really familiar with any Lee Majors work. Um, but to to me, it, it was it was it was perfect. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I think Scheider did an awesome job, and you're right. Like I, I only really know him from this. Um, I'm sure he yeah. had a, a great career and whatever. Um, but just the character itself, you know, he's like some New York cop who. I guess is something went wrong and he ended up on Amity Island, this little summer Island. 
and they're sort of joking, you know, at the beginning of the movie, that, oh, nothing ever happens here, <laughs> you know. Right. So it should be right. It's supposed to be an easy be summer walk. job. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's just kids karate chopping fence posts. Like that's all I got to deal right. with. Um, I did in my you know half-ass internet research. I saw that Charlton Heston originally wanted the role of uh, of Brody, but Spielberg thought of he was Brody. just too big. Yeah. I could see it. I could see it. But I think it would have been, you know, you think of like, you know, from um, you damn dirty apes. Like, I feel like Heston would have overacted that great actor, but he would have like taken it too far or something. I, I don't I don't know. I don't think that would have worked. Personally. Yeah. I just picture him as Moses. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just Moses. Moses or, or, or the Planet of the Apes loincloth. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, Dreyfus as Hooper. I think of all the characters, I don't know about you, but I. He was sort of my least favorite, you know, he's sort of this nebbishy dude, which Dreyfus does really well. And he's got a tough side to him. You know, he's not afraid of this huge shark, but um, it's said that they were considering Jeff Bridges in that role. The dude. Could you imagine if the now, dude was Hooper? Now, no, I, I could see that. And I guess they're kind of around the same age. So he would have. I, yes, I, I can see that. Do, can I say it would have been better? I don't really know. The other problem with trying to, like, say, well, who would have been better is I, I don't even remember. I don't even know what other actors were around, right? Because because it was way before I was born. Uh, but Bridges, I can see. Uh, I but I love Dreyfus in the role, though. Growing up playing Jaws, uh, I never pretended to be Hooper. You know what I mean? Like you're not you weren't buying the Hooper action figure. You wanted the Quint and and the Brody. But um, I don't know, man. I think I think the three of them together. We're, we're pretty perfect. But yes, I, I could see Jeff Bridges doing that for sure. Yeah. And for for Quint, I, mean, I agree. Like, I think Robert Shaw does such an incredible job with this character, this, you know, eclectic, alcoholic-ish <laughs> kind yeah. of crazy oh, yeah. captain. Um, you had mentioned that they were talking to Lee Marvin and Marvin, I said majors. See, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. No, no, it, but he was like <laughs> an original badass. He was in that movie. Oh God, the War Guys. Who like they get these? The hell was that called? They take all these ex cons and put them in the battle, and they go and kick everybody's butt. But he was a, a true fisherman. I, he used to fish on the Great Barrier Reef, and he was actually in Cabo on a fishing trip okay. when they wanted to do the filming. And he was like, "No, I'm actually fishing." So you guys have ah, fun with see? your have fun with your little fish movie. I'm going to go catch a <laughs> there, real fish. There's some Joe's trivia I didn't know. Didn't know that. That's cool. Um, and then the other character who I kind of loved, you know, I just rewatched this. Is Mayor Vaughn? I thought that guy. Oh yeah, that guy's so funny with his. Well, he he's great because I think he he did an accurate portrayal of a of a mayor of a town that gets all of its money in in the summer season. I mean, you know, it's it's a it's a, it's a funny comparison, but like uh, you know, my 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 in laws have a home at the Jersey Shore, so like when the pandemic happened. You know, you had all these these people down in uh, in Ocean City, like you know, seal the bridges, don't let anybody on, don't let anybody to their vacation homes, and you had you know the, the mayors of some of these towns were in the news all the time because they're trying to be the go between to keep everybody on the island happy, but figure out how to not piss off all the people that come down and spend all the money in the summertime. So like, yeah. it, it, he he did a terrific job uh, in that role. Yeah, he had some skin in the game, and yeah, and he was freaking out. Um... And his blazer. <laughs> oh, the blazers were epic, man. <laughs> With a little anchor, the little anchors all over. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God. I bet that started Vineyard Vines. <laughs> oh, <it's, laughs> because they had all you know those what? ties and stuff. You should have them on and ask them because I bet you're right. It's like somebody was watching that movie one day and saw that anchor blazer and was like, I have an idea. Very possible. Right. And the setting, I don't know. I mean. I haven't spent a ton of time on the vineyard, you know, growing up in Connecticut, we'd take the boat there once in a while, but you think it's, do you think Amity is kind of supposed to be the vineyard or is it more a New York? What do you think? You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I always placed it more, um, in the, in New York, but, um, I also think they did a great job of capturing that because they kept it vague that could have been an island at the Jersey Shore or uh, in New York. Uh, but it's funny because 
I went there when I was little specifically because that's where Jaws was filmed. So I must have been, no I don't way. know, 10 years old or 11 years old. So we were up on Cape Cod for vacation, and I said, well, I want to go out to the vineyard um, just, just you know, to, to see the sights. And it's funny because I know the filming of that that movie overtook that island for so long that by the time it was done, the people who lived there, the residents were like, get out. Like, they were like sick of it. Like, get oh, off sure. this island, take all your crap, and get out of here. So as a little kid, I had this vision of like getting off the ferry and it being like, welcome to Jaws World. <laughs> like, it's Disney World. Dude, complete opposite. Like, you had to hunt really hard. This would have been in the early 90s or, you know, yeah, yeah, early 90s. You You had to hunt really hard for anything like a couple of the shops had like photos that you know the store clerk took when they were filming of bruce on the street or whatever but it almost was this vibe of like yeah that happened but like let's get on with our quiet lives here so i went around to all the beaches where they hung the tiger shark i saw all the things and now i have friends that go out to the vineyard and they say it's like the complete opposite. They just open like I think there's some Amity something brewery out there, and there's Jaws themed shirts in every store. So it's completely come around, um, as I understand it. But I haven't been out there again since, so I haven't seen it with my own it's, eyes. Yeah, it's probably you know the new generation people more our age are like, oh, let's embrace this this phenomenon. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure a lot of the people who who were 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 residents when Martha's Vineyard was still kind of you know, high end and sleepy and there wasn't as much going on. I could see them being, being tired of it. Um, although there's a, I, I don't know if you, if your research found this, the author's name is slipping my mind right now, but there is a coffee table book out. I have it over here in my bookshelf, uh, big thick sucker. And it's a Jaws book and, and all the artwork is photos taken by the residents on the Island and crew members and people who were just around. So it's this incredible behind the scenes look from the eyes of the locals and sort of the little people that were on set. Um, and it's all interviews with them uh, about interacting with the cast and crew for all that time on the island. It is it is terrific. It oh, is wow. really cool. I have to yeah. check that out. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, next question. Do you think the shark is the biggest star in the movie? Mm. No, I think Robert Shaw is the biggest star in the movie. Okay. Yeah, you know, every scene he's um, in is just amazing. Yes, yes, from 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 beginning to end. Uh Yeah, no, I never really thought about that, but no, I I don't I don't think of the shark as the star of the movie. I mean, it's obviously the focal point, but um <laughs> Quint is just such a badass that he, he Quint is greater than shark. So Quint is greater than shark. I can live with that. That's cool. Um, all right, Joe. So I asked you what you think are your five favorite scenes. And then I jotted down what I think my five were. So let's see if we are on the same page. You want to, you want to go first? Yeah. Is it, is it fair to throw one in that was cut from the original, but like available in the deleted scenes of the Ooh, DVD? Sure. There's no rules. Here. So, okay. No, no rules here. So, um, I'm not necessarily going in order of, of like best to worst. I'm just rattling off five scenes here, but there is one and you can find this on YouTube. Uh, it got cut from the original, but it, it's Quint and his, his mate, that scruffy dude with the, you know, the dirty cap, the short guy with the dog that walks into town hall with him. Um, and they walk into a music shop on the Island so that he can buy more piano wire, which is what he claimed to use as, as leader. And uh, he talks to the girl and says, yeah, four spools of piano wire, Kate, number 12. And she says, uh, what, what, what do, these, what do these, these fish do, eat this stuff? And he says, choke on it, hopefully. And as she goes <laughs> to the back to get a box of piano wire, um, there's a little kid playing, uh, I think it's Ode to Joy, on like a recorder. And he's totally butchering it. And Quint's behind him going, ba, 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 ba. And every time the kid hits a wrong note, he just gets louder. Ra, ba, ba, ba. And totally freaks the kid out until like he's on the verge of tears. Oh, my God. It is one of my favorite scenes. Because also, you know, you see Quint so much less in the overall scheme of things than the other characters because he sort of comes in later. So any deleted stuff that has Quint that we didn't see, like anything that's more Quint, I love. Um, 
So yeah, that one for sure. Uh, believe it or not, I would actually say the opening scene of the movie yeah, is great. one of the most memorable scenes in the entire movie. I mean, coming out with a gut punch like that, filmed in the dark. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty big horror movie fan in general. I like horror movies, right? But even though I, you know, Jaws straddled that line between suspense and thriller and horror, you got it was always in the horror section at the blockbuster video, right? So I guess <laughs> if that qualifies it. The blockbuster, the choices video. Um, but um, when, uh, when, when Chrissy Watkins gets killed in the beginning, the sounds she is making while being attacked, like how many takes that took to do that, but they are some of the most, I think, natural, realistic, blood-curdling sounds of death, you know, in, in any movie. And if, if that doesn't hook you with that right, right then and there. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you're on your edge of your seat. She's getting yanked side to side. Woo! Yeah, and, and I, I, yeah I've, said, I've said interview, there, there's one that's just like, the last time she screams, it's like, screaming while there's like vomit coming out of your mouth sound. And I know that sounds weird, but it was just perfect uh, and, and, and really believable. Um, and I think she had done an interview and said, that, you know, they had her on a harness on a pulley underwater and she was in legitimate pain because they spent hours doing it. I mean, just ripping that poor old girl back and forth on the surface of the water for hours um, to get it right. So that scene for sure. Um, you got city hands, Mr. Hooper. Might be the <laughs> finest scene in the entire film. That's pretty funny. And as a little kid, I mean, this is the scene, if you've seen the movie, where it starts with the opening opening the giant pot in uh, Quint's shack, and there's a se two sets of shark jaws boiling in there right. because his shack is covered in all the uh, jaw sets from all the, the sharks he has killed. And, dude, as a little kid, I remember going, I want that, I want shark jaws, I want shark jaws. And shortly after... My dad bought me. This is when, God, you could still go to the Jersey Shore boardwalk and buy like a set of juvenile tiger shark jaws for 15 bucks. Can't do that anymore. And that's a good thing for the record. But right. back in the day, you could. Um, so the funny thing about that is years later when I got into real shark fishing and, and, and got to hanging out with, you know, people who, who really knew sharks, they were like, you'd never do that. You'd never boil. That's, that's not... It's not a deer skull with a European mount. If you boil a set of shark jaws, all you end up with is jello and a bunch of shark teeth on the bottom of the pot. Um, but it was still cool. Uh, I, I, I actually did a Hookshots podcast years ago. There was a little bit more like jaws. It was jaws themed, but myth busting, right? And that was one of the things. Like that's not what you do for a jaw set. Actually, a jaw set's a huge pain because you have to scrape the meat off and you know stretch it anyway. But that scene. Um, I, I use that all the time. You know, you meet somebody, especially nowadays with social media, it's like, it's so easy to come off with this front of like, I'm a hardcore angler and then you really pay attention. And all the time I'm like, he's got city hands. That dude's got city <laughs> hands. I mean, that has stuck with me ever since. Um, a, a, a weird one, but I do love the scene of the orca getting loaded to go out. I think it's a really... Uh, I didn't appreciate it when I was little, but I appreciate it watching it now. It's just a really uh, interesting sort of juxtaposition of of Brody and his wife on the dock having like a tender moment, and she's very scared about what he's about to do. But while that's happening, and she's going through all that angst of like expressing how worried she is, Quince just screaming at people, and people are dropping stuff, and he even cases an apricot brandy onto the boat, and... I don't know. I always, I always liked that because it was like that perfect, like, you know, this guy's not worried about anything. He's going out there to whoop some ass, you know. And uh, so I don't know. I also just think that, and you'll get this, like, as an angler, you go tuna fishing or something, you're jacked that part of the day, you know, two o'clock in the morning, and you're you're throwing ice on the boat and handing rods over and stowing stuff. Like that's a really high adrenaline part of the day, and then for us up here, it sucks for the next four hours because you're driving seventy miles <laughs> offshore in a beanbag. But but the load in is um, is always very cool. The build up, and kind of. even though yeah, the build up exactly. And even though I feel like it's completely cliche, um, you know the 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 fight with Rod and Reel. I mean that entire sequence. 
it's impossible not to call that out, you know, when that 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 Penn senator starts clicking, uh, you know, all the way through when that fish starts running. Yeah, that part's um, cool. Because really, from an angling, yeah, from an angling perspective, that's the part that hooks you, right? I mean, that's the the ultimate mystery. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it because I've done some shark fishing. Like you said, you've done a ton of shark fishing. It's so inaccurate. Like at no point in time are you going to catch a shark that like makes tick, that real click tick. once, click, and then like tick tick. No, completely inaccurate, but so great. Yeah. I mean, oh, such and he amazing slowly hooks up. the harness in, like the fish is going to feel it or something, but it, it just adds that yeah, level of I, anticipation. And I remember when I was little, um, I wanted a reel that clicked to play with. Like there was something about, I associated the sound of that clicking, a clicking reel means this is a reel to catch big fish. And my son now, who's a huge Jaws fan, same thing. I gave him some old crappy Ocean City reel, you know, some uh, old school deal with a short, stiff rod that was over at my dad's and threw the clicker on. And that's the one he'll play with the most because he just wants to crank away with the clicker on. Like that sound to him, too, it means like this is a big fish reel. So I'd say those those are my five. Those are excellent. The piano wire scene. I know I've seen that somewhere. Maybe I think I, at one point I had the DVD with like the. Oh yeah, it was on there for sure. Yeah, um, that is great. And you know he was just such a a disruptor. So one of the scenes I picked mm-hmm. is like when they're first in the mayor's office or press conference or something, and he oh. does the chalkboard. Yeah. Absolutely. And everyone's yeah. like, ah. Yeah. And he's just, you know, hey, yep. we ain't going down to the pond to catch bluegill. <laughs> right. Tommy Cod. Yeah. yeah well, you know, Tommy Cod. Um, well, and he told it like it was. I mean, walked into that room and just like, here's what's happening. You want my help? Yes or no? Out the door. Yeah. I mean, that's that was that was the quint cool and quint confidence. I just love like half the movie is on the boat. It's almost like two movies. There's the whole beach town mm-hmm. movie. And then there's like the freaking right. fight of killing this thing. Yep. So. I lean more towards, you know, the, the scenes on the boat as well. Um, I really liked when they had the shark tied to the transom and the boats getting, you know, pulled around and the cleats are popping off and all this stuff. I mean, it was just so yeah. exciting again. Like, is that reality? <laughs> I'm no, but, no, you know, it's pretty but awesome. That's okay. It's totally okay. Even just, you know, the harpoons and the barrels, all that stuff I is like, I've never seen anything close to that on a fishing boat, but it makes it so great. And so, you know, badass. Um, so I had that one, the shark cage scene, which you talked about mm-hmm. earlier. I thought that was just, could you imagine like the balls on somebody <laughs> to jump in that little, this this fish that just bashed holes in a fifty foot wooden boat, you're gonna get in a little shark cage. So, no, I couldn't. But you know, it's funny you talked earlier about Hooper, like who else he could have been played by. But they they all fit together so well. I still appreciated that because it's like they had been through so much and failed so miserably that it's like, all right, now it's time to go to the nerd. Like that was the nerd's moment to shine, and his plan was legitimate. I mean, he had drugs that would would have stopped that shark's heart so even though uh that was another failed attempt which makes the movie i always appreciated that that it was sort of like all right now it's the now it's science's turn to try and take care of this you know and even it it was kind of a stretch (laughs) for sure but sure uh you know he gets freaked out and he drops the syringe which was filled with like rat poison or i don't know i forget what it was yeah but it was just so scary, and then he he manages to escape, which again, you know, the shark is keyed in on this cage. Total long shot, but God, it's good movie making. It was just so yeah. fun. Um, yep, I think probably I have this. This might be my favorite scene, but the whole scars scene, and not so much just when they're you know, drunk and comparing scars and telling their backstories and Quint pulls his tooth out and, you know, uh, Hooper takes his shirt off and he's like, you wearing a sweater? Cause he's all chest hair popping everywhere. Yeah. But, but yeah. my favorite part of that scene is when he starts talking about the USS Indianapolis, like, and Oh, it's, it's, he, it's the greatest monologue of all time. He goes yeah. like into this otherworldly place as an actor. It is amazing. 
amazing. Yep. And, and so he, and then you get his backstory and you realize he's not just some crazy guy who's out to kill stuff. Like, you know, he survived this wreck, which I learned was a very top secret thing. Like he says in the movie, they were carrying the bomb for Hiroshima and, you know, no one knew about this boat. And, and a lot of men were eaten by sharks when the boat sank. Yep. Yep. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that's like the most Americans killed by sharks in, in one time in, in history. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, it's never been worse than that. It was brilliant writing how they got that in there. And then from that moment on, it's like, you see this guy and, and he's on a death mm -hmm. wish. Quint is like, he's crazy. He's on a yep. death wish. He smashes the VHF radio when Brody tries to call a mayday because the boat's sinking. <laughs> and then he, you know, deliberately runs the motor till it explodes. You know, it's just he was a freaking lunatic. But but you see why. It's funny you bring up that scene because I've actually used it. It flies by most people's heads, but I've actually soundbited it and used it in a bunch of podcasts and stuff in the in uh, in the past. He smacks that. He, he gets uh, Brody's wife on the VHF before he smashes it. Remember, they said they have a call coming in, and he says, uh, "Hey, Miss Brody, I haven't seen anything yet. Just got a couple of stripers. We'll bring them home for dinner. We'll bring them home for dinner over and out." I've 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 grabbed that. Just got a couple of stripers. We'll bring them home for dinner over and out, and like just throwing. Most people, it just it happens so fast, but. You know, Quint brings up stripers. Yeah, so that's that's something. Ease you know? her nerves. It was just great. He was on a whole different level than those other two guys on the boat. He was not going yeah. home empty-handed, and I really think he wanted to die. And and so we have to talk about his death scene because it is it is the crunchiest sounding death scene ever. It's so gross, but I bet you yeah, freaking loved it. Oh, I love it. Although even when I was little, that was the only scene in the entire movie. I was okay with the leg being bitten off and, and the girl getting attacked. Uh, when that fish bites down and he spits all that blood out of his mouth, that was the, the one scene that even like tweaked me a little bit when I was little. Like I might have turned away for that second. It was the one, it was the part of the movie I was I was dreading. And I think it's fitting demise, right? There's no other way for Quint to go. Though I, I think that's interesting that you think he had a death wish. I never interpreted it that way. I mean, I'm not, that's not necessarily wrong. I never looked at it like he wanted to die. I really think he wanted to hang that shark at the dock. I think his madness was more driven by, like, ha being the one to legitimately hang that fish at the dock. Yeah. I mean, it could go either way. And I guess one sort of leads into the other. He was not going to stop. Maybe, right. So maybe that's true. That is true. Yeah. But that scene, man, and he's all right, he's flung around in the blood, and oh, it is, it's pretty gnarly. I think it was a little it's long. brutal. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, yeah, maybe, I don't know, but I, I think in the way it kicks off, just the tight shot of his hand holding on to Brody's hand, and oh, Brody's yeah. trying not to let him slide backwards, and their hands just slip apart. Oh, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So good, yeah. so good. So the last one I have, which is probably the cheesiest scene in the whole movie, but when Brody blows up the shark, just because it's so fun to watch. No, oh, it's iconic. I mean, it's probably the most iconic scene in the uh, in the entire movie. Um, you know, and and I've instilled that in my kid too. Although we, I've allowed son of a bee, so he can run around with his little rifle and say, "Smile, you son of a bee." Uh, and that's as far as it's allowed to be taken. But he does it all the time. Sometimes at daycare. I've had a phone call about it. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a phone call. Well, you know, yeah. part of it. So I've read that they, they've loaded up the thing with calamari, like raw squid and, and, and all this fake blood and stuff to give it that look and the little bits flying everywhere. Uh, it's, just, uh -huh. it's pretty gnarly. For 1975 effects, I think it's about as good as you could possibly get. Yeah, well, I mean, so we brought up the book. If you haven't read the book, the shark just drowns in the book. And I know they said that um, they, they drag it into shallow water. Quint in the, in, in the film says, I want to draw him into shallow water and drown him. Um, that's how that fish ends up dying, I believe, in the book. As I said, it's been years. But so the, the, the shooting of the scuba tank in his mouth is so much more dramatic. But then... I remember years and years later, the myth, the Mythbusters totally busted that. Yeah. If you sh if you shoot a scuba tank with a rifle, Psst. it doesn't blow up. It just goes. Psst. Yeah. No, I don't. So again, I will never criticize Jaws for you know it's 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 realism because it's just so awesome. 
But dude, there's so much in that movie that just doesn't play. Like that just wouldn't have worked that way, you know? Yeah, no, I, I saw that too, and I don't care. It's Hollywood, man. Yeah, we need every movie needs a fucking ex- oops. Every movie needs an explosion, you know? It just <laughs> it has to happen. Um, yeah, and you know, obviously, some of the worst scenes, just from a fishing perspective, there's definitely a lot of faux pas in there. Um, the one that jumps out at my mind where I was just like rolling my eyes in my head was when the, you know, the mother of Alex, the boy who dies on the beach, puts out a bounty yeah. for the shark and it causes this big like tournament kind of scene. And they're out on these like rowboats, like in the harbor, basically <laughs> with like pot roasts on hooks. Right. <laughs> well, you you had asked me to come up with like my least favorite scenes. That's really hard to do because there, there aren't really any that I'm like, well, that was a that was a bad scene or, or that didn't fit. But that the scene you're talking about where all, all the bounty hunters go out, you know, for my entire life, I've thought exactly the same thing. I'm like, why isn't there like one uh, Hatteras or Viking or Egg Harbor or like a big actual sport fishing boat going out in this fleet that seemed very inaccurate? Like you said, it was like a bunch of dudes in tri-hole ski boats going out there to fish for sharks, which um, if this was a real thing that happened, you know, like half the, 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 the Cabo boat owners would come up there and, and uh, get a transient slip and go after it, you know? So um, yeah, definitely. I don't want to say it's inaccurate. It's just impractical that, that that would be the, the main fleet of guys going out to do that, you know? Yeah. Was there any other scenes that you're like, eh, I don't know. Um, man, not, not really. I, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think the the most fishing inaccurate, see, it's hard to call it inaccurate though. Like if you look at that tiger shark when they hang it at the dock, right? I mean, it's full of arrows that were shot with recurve bows and, you know, those guys are out there with, with dynamite. I guess they're trying to capture that sort of Yahoo mentality of just money-hungry people that have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Um, but a fair amount of that was illegal and just impractical. I, I mean, just the, the the scene alone where there's 25 boats climbing on top of each other, one's throwing dynamite, one's dumping blood, one's shooting arrows. I mean, you know, as a shark fisherman, dude, to catch a shark, you need to be off quietly alone in a tum slip. Yep. So it, it, the odds of... Any shark that big, even though the tiger shark was the wrong shark, being a willing player with all that boat traffic and guys climbing all over each other would would have never happened. Uh, but all that said, it's 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 a fantastic scene, you know. Um, the uh, the Ben Gardner scene, I have always wondered, uh, how did he just lose an eyeball? You know what I mean? There was there was one eyeball missing from his, I guess, severed head. Uh, I always just assumed like you know an American eel took that after the fact or something. But as a little kid. I was always like, well, how did the shark just eat his eye? Um, right. That's the likewise, scene I remember where when the sh- Hooper's down there looking at the hole in the boat and the head bobs by. <laughs> yeah. But that scene is I, so I, I, scary. Oh, it's one of the scariest scenes in, in, in the whole movie. Um, and I also have to laugh. You're a boat guy, so you'll appreciate it. Like that looked like an, like a, like a, they were on like a Chris craft, right? Something like that. Flybridge. And Hooper had the best electronics in the world at the time. So I recognize that boat as like the junker at the marina now, the old 70-something Chris Craft that's like falling apart, right? But it's funny because at the time, that was like state-of-the-art. Yeah, the, like the flasher, Hooper the had, depth flasher and stuff. Yeah, the just the state-of-the-art boat. Uh, and I always kind of wondered, like, maybe y'all should have taken that one because I don't think... Quint didn't have electronics. No, I don't think there was any sort of electronics at all other than a compass on that boat. You know, that thing is a jalopy. I mean, I don't even know where to start. That thing is just not, that was built for the movie. It's not a real boat. Right. And I'll just leave it at that. I don't want, I could do a whole other episode. It works. Oh, I know there's a lot of debate about that boat. Yeah. Yeah. It works. And I think there's like, didn't someone buy it and it's in some like restaurant or something now? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. I know. I know that it sat around on the vineyard, like on blocks, for a long time after filming was over and started to deteriorate. And I think you're right. Somebody did eventually buy it, but I don't know exactly what happened to it. And now you said your son is four and he's all into Jaws. So have, has he seen the movie? 
multiple times. Wow, multiple times. I'm, now my daughter, I'm afraid to my show daughter, it to my kids. My daughter's, you know, I, he's just he's he's so into fishing because I am, and I hope that that stays. My daughter's scared of everything, right? She won't watch a Jurassic Park or a Jaws, and that's fine. But uh, I tried it. It was just he and I home one day. Uh, my wife and daughter were out. Uh, and he didn't pay attention to much of the beginning until the second half of the movie, like you said, on the boat started happening. And he was way into that and showed no fear of it. And, you know, I mean, this is a kid that not long ago, he he requested his own gap. <laughs> I had to go make it. That sounds safe. I had to get a dowel. A da, a da, a, no, I got a dowel rod. And, you know, those rubber coated hooks you screw into the garage to hang stuff. Screwed one of them in the other end, wrapped it in paracord the whole nine. Wow. Um, so he, he, much like me, I mean, obviously my, my dad had to let me see that pretty early on. Uh, I was probably around the same age the first time I saw it and I got every single jaws from one through four in my stocking as a little kid at Christmas. And I was like, how the hell does Santa paint the shark as perfectly as the one in the blockbuster video? Well, um, your parents sound like they, but yeah, I they really, they, they encouraged you into this field, man. They knew you well. That's pretty cool. A, a, a little, yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, I know things are different now with with kids. I don't care though. I mean, there's there's worse things I could show them than Jaws. I mean, it, really, if you look at some things that have gotten made much more recently, Jaws is actually fairly tame, right? It has um, a PG rating. I was shocked. Yeah, yeah, it's PG. But um, I think I think what happened is the same thing that probably happened with me. You know, when you're really little, like too little to watch Jaws. You don't even really fully understand how to be scared yet. You know what I mean? Where my daughter, who's seven, just 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 knows more. So she understands suspense and she understands the music and is scared of what's going to happen next. Where my little guy, he just wants to see fishing and sharks and thinks it's neat. You know, so he's and I, I probably the same thing happened for me. I watched it so young that I was like, this isn't scary. This is just cool. I remember asking my mom, like, can I take my jaws to second grade to watch in school and she was like no 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 other kids won't sleep for weeks i'm like what the hell are you talking about this is awesome that's what are you talking about yeah so mine you mine know? are a little older my i've got a seven-year-old and nine-year-old and they both want to watch it and i was very i was like i don't know guys my nine-year-old's learning to surf Just do it and he's all about surfing ah uh, so i was like yeah uh, you know i don't know if he needs to see some girl get chomped and a little boy get chomped at the beach but I think my younger son, who's like the kid who roots for the dinosaurs to eat the people, like, right? right. <laughs> he's he would he's gonna like it. I feel. Yeah. And I actually that, that I get. I started watching it a little bit with him, and I just fast forward all the beginning. I just started it like at the middle of the movie. But the first thing he saw was the 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 one eyed head or one eyeball head Bob Pie. <laughs> And he totally yeah. screamed. It was pretty hilarious. Yeah, no, I um I've I've bought my son so Chief Brody, he he calls him Chiefin, Chiefin Brody. So he runs around playing, you hear him about, you know, say Chiefin Brody's doing this or whatever. He's got a little army rifle that I painted a shark on for him, a little, you know, cap gun wooden rifle. Um and I even bought him the uh I don't they're not bobbleheads, I forget what they're called. Movie nerds would know those little like rubber giant head they make every character from every movie pop yeah yeah those little collectible something. things yeah he plays with the chief and brody one of those in the bathtub but to your point uh like my daughter is a, is a water bug ocean pool doesn't matter she wants to be in the water so yes after she saw just a couple clips then i got those questions mm -hmm. But she was old enough to put that together. Like, wait a minute, that's in the water at this beach. So when we go here, I'm like, no, just relax. He doesn't get it. So it's like ignorance is bliss. So it's almost like he sees Jaws in its purest form, which is weird. <laughs> but that's that's how I look at it. So I, I have a hunch, you know, he, he'll be a Jaws zealot like me. Nah, that's fine. That's good. And, you know, it is. there is some unfortunate fallout from this thing, though, with, you know, sharks just being vilified and all oh, that stuff and mega we could get into all that you know because the they're actually obviously a very important creature in the ecosystem and they've had to you know live through all kinds of finning and various overfishing things so that part of it was uh negative but i don't know it's still a fun movie it's still fun to talk about 
Yeah, there's actually a, a very good documentary about, I, I think her last name is Ross, Valerie Ross. She was the, um, the, the wife part of the husband and wife team that did all the underwater filming for Jaws. Um, and uh, she takes a pretty good deep dive into that, into the aftermath of Jaws and how these two people that, that were so pivotal in creating the footage needed to make this epic film spent years on the road after doing any talk show in any country they possibly could to say these fish are not villains you know essentially trying to undo uh, a lot of what they inadvertently did they didn't realize that was going to happen at the time but it did it's a great documentary hmm. yeah i think there's a lot of truth in that but but i still i mean I still think this is the best fishing film of all time. And I'm curious to hear, I, I think you probably agree with me. I mean, is there anything that holds a candle to it? Yeah. I mean, look, a river runs through. It's cool. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. That's, but that's not like my fishing movie Bible. I mean, there's not a whole lot of choices out there. So yes. And the, the, you know, the ironic part of that is Jaws isn't a fishing movie. It's the best fishing movie ever made. But it's not really a fishing movie. Yeah. I mean, what was it? He had Bait Shop with Billy Ray Cyrus and then the one with Joe Pesci and Danny Glover. <laughs> like, those were fishing movies. Jaws was not. Um, but, yeah, again, going back to what I said earlier, I think, you know, uh, if if you lived in middle America, wherever you, you were, if if you didn't have the ocean close by, I mean, what better way to plant a seed of, of, of the, the sort of you know, big fish hunt long before your Jeremy Wades and YouTube and, and, and all that stuff. I mean, it just kind of put that idea in your head that there is some really big stuff out there to catch. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it gets you fired up and it makes, to me, it kind of makes me laugh now. It's like all this unintentional humor in there. Um, it's just fun to watch and it's fun to talk about. I, I, we've gone way over on our time here. I, Thank you so much, Joe, for being so uh, generous with your, your time this morning and, and all your knowledge of everything Jaws. Uh, I look forward to seeing what you're up to next, man, and, and I look forward to doing some more work with you. Can't wait, man. This was a fun one. Anytime you want to talk Jaws, I'm down. Or anything right. else for next that time. <laughs> yeah, next time let's let's beat up on Perfect Storm because that movie always Oh, okay. I can do that. <laughs> Joe, have a great day, man. Will do. You too. Thanks, Charlie.